In today's episode, we'll get to know Dr. Lawrence Choi, psychiatrist who specializes in adult ADHD and mental wellness. Stay tuned and enjoy. We're talking to Dr. Choi in Silicon Valley. I'm Katherine Ellison. I'm a journalist and author, including Buzz, A Year of Paying Attention, Family ADHD Memoir. Dr. Choi, can you tell us a little bit about your practice? Thanks for having me. It's an honor talking to you. Yeah, I'm a Stanford-trained psychiatrist in Silicon Valley. I specialize in treating adult ADHD. I'm also specialized in mental wellness, and I'm a huge neurodiversity advocate which includes managing people who are on the autism spectrum. And you yourself combine ADHD and autism. Is that correct? Yes, I am on the spectrum and have adult ADHD as well. When did you figure all this out? Let's start with the ADHD because that's what I learned initially. And I figured this out actually, let's see. Seven years ago, about, I was 35 at the time. This was well after completing medical school, my psychiatry residency. I was in private practice at the time. So it was after I ran through all those major academic accomplishments, if you will. Yeah. Yes. Found out a bit later, which I would have known earlier, that would have definitely helped me more in my functioning. What led to your diagnosis? So my diagnosis, it was a self-diagnosis, which actually happens to a lot of people who have ADHD. They learn about that on their own and discover it and get a confirmation from a psychiatrist or some doctor. You had to be a psychiatrist before you knew yeah. you had ADHD. Yeah, well, Impressive. Which is really ironic too, right? How does a psychiatrist not know that he has this, this psychiatric condition or disorder? What so, made you suspect that you might have it? I think suspected it actually came to me when I attended this ADHD across the lifespan conference. I was in private practice with my partner colleague. We saw this unmet need for treating people with adult ADHD. So we decided, hey, let's become experts in this field so that we can provide excellent treatment to people who need it. I attended this conference, I sat in the front row, and they displayed this slide about adult ADHD symptoms and features. I was reading through it and I checked all of them. And that's the first time. That was the first time you realized you had it. You hadn't Learned about ADHD in medical school. I learned about it, but people didn't really talk about adult ADHD. They talked about children with ADHD. It never occurred to me. Another reason it never occurred to me, because people did say that if you're able to get this far in school, it's unlikely you have ADHD. But friends and a girlfriend at the time, it was my wife now, they mentioned it to me. It was funny because... Once it occurred to me, I caught her like, Sarah, oh my God, you won't believe this. I have ADHD. (laughs) I've been telling you this the whole time. (laughs) Why was she telling you? What made her think that you might have it? Because I'm barely listening to her. When we're eating at a restaurant, I'm always getting up, going somewhere. I'm (laughs) unable to really sit still. 
So a lot of reasons. And do you think your teacher should have caught this? It sounds like you think your life would have been more oh, easy. Yeah. Yes. I, I wish someone did. I also lacked self-awareness. So maybe people were telling me, it's, oh. listen. Well, wow. what do you think was going on when you were a child in school that a teacher might have noticed yeah. and pointed out? Looking back, I had a fourth grade teacher who grabbed me by the ear. I was maybe selectively mute or nonverbal to like first or second grade. I was super shy. And uh-huh. So that oh. was maybe the autism spectrum thing. Yeah. Right? yeah. And when were you aware of that? What made you aware of that? Uh, I identified with ADHD, but autism spectrum was never on my radar until I became a dad. I have a son. He's eight now. I found out I had ADHD when she was an infant. So I knew he was going to have ADHD. I was ready for that already. Yeah, I wasn't ready or prepared to have a son who's on the autism spectrum. When he was a toddler, he started to show these behaviors of someone on the spectrum. If we brought him to a noisy restaurant, he would scream, yell, run off. I didn't really know what that was, but my wife knew something was off. Even trying to give him a shower, he would scream. But my wife wanted to bring him in for an evaluation. And I actually told her, no, he's fine. You're the one who mentioned issues. Like maybe like, <laughs> yeah, wait, you got it. she does have the head of, I guess, heightened anxiety or stress. I'm like, maybe you got to see a therapist for your own anxiety. So I, I was yeah. there, which I wasn't aware I was doing at the time. A evaluation for diagnosing a child, a kid on the spectrum, it's a long process. It takes six months to a year. So all this time I was very unsupportive toward my wife. When she brought up that psychologists were thinking that you might have autism, like no way. They don't know what they're talking about. What's their clinical background? I was very dismissive. Finally, when his diagnosis was confirmed, I... I stopped resisting it. I didn't even know, realize I was resisting. I really believed that he didn't have it. What helped me come to terms was I had this vision that I was going to play in catch or football or some sports with my son. He wasn't interested in athletics. And I think I let go of that dream. I experienced this sense of loss and sadness. I realized that I was trying to hold on to this dream without accepting my son and my wife for this, what it is. It was selfish of me to want to hold on to that. That taught me that denial is not intentional. I wasn't choosing to deny it. After the fact, I realized, well, my mind just wasn't ready to accept and integrate this new fact, right? That my son is autistic. Profound what you said before about self-awareness. You can be getting these judgments or information from the outside world and you're just not ready to accept them yet. It sounds like looking at your son's behavior helped you understand, maybe hark back to some memories you had. Oh, yes. Then I really started thinking, well, I actually have a lot of autism spectrum features myself and it helped inform me that my dad that he's has autistic features and he definitely meets criteria for like autism yes it's quite common in silicon valley adhd and autism might be 
particularly common in this culture of entrepreneurs, some yes. people, some and, very successful people in their careers. Yes. Yeah, people in STEM, right? Like so yeah. engineers. Yeah. And so it's, it, there is a high prevalence of this. And what I see in my clinical practice are people come seeking evaluation or diagnosis for ADHD and oftentimes have a conversation with them. Have you ever considered autism spectrum? And their minds blown or some people might she was so validated. They always knew something was coming off and they just weren't able to put their finger on it. What's going on? It sounds like and you have a wonderful source of compassion for people in your practice because you can definitely identify with some of their struggles. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I'm very open and transparent with patients. So I oftentimes tell them this, even during initial evaluation, maybe they Google me, they know this about me and they do appreciate that I'm more speaking with them rather than at them. That's a wonderful way to, to put it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So have you met up with your wife after all that? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she's forgiven me. She has, uh, for her to even want to be with me, even without knowing I had ADHD <laughs> or on a spectrum. Uh-huh. Do you ever worry that people wouldn't want to see you because of your diagnosis? Or are you very open about it? Yeah. yeah. Do I worry about the potential stigma? Or Yeah, great question. I guess and I, and I was like the founder or owner of the business, so I can create my own rules. Yeah, so that was never really a concern. My philosophy and approach is courage and transparency. If you can live with the authenticity It'll come back in the positive way. And if, if it creates challenges then or issues with someone, then maybe that's not a type of system or relationship that I would want to be a part of. And what do you do for your ADHD? How do you handle it? Yeah. Yeah. This is something I talk to patients about too, that having ADHD or knowing <laughs> it is a life sentence. <laughs> The way our nervous system, our brain is wired, so there's no escaping it. In order to deal with it, it is something that's at the front of my mind every day. If I'm not deliberately managing it, it's just sort of pretty slow. It starts with taking medication and supplements. What kind of supplements do you take? A bunch. (laughs) And antioxidants. Supplements to help improving cognitive functioning. What kind of supplements? Which is is a powerful antioxidant. The ADHD brain or neurotypical brain is very susceptible or vulnerable to oxidative stress. Even stimulants can increase oxidative stress. And it is true, like stimulants can cause neurotoxicity. Yeah, dose matters, right? Methamphetamine is a form of amphetamine. And everything in nature at some point, some dose will be toxic, right? So sure. the doses that we're using in treating the brain, it's not toxic at that level. In fact, for people with ADHD, it's beneficial in developing the brain. That's a conversation I have with patients. If someone has undiagnosed ADHD and they a child who doesn't get treated with medication, their brain is a 
neurodevelopmental conditions, so their brain will lag behind in development and may not even fully develop depending on some lifestyle choices. For example, if they get into substance use. For sure. Yeah, so I was drinking and smoking a lot to cope. I was going to ask you how you got through college and medical school with these yeah, other... From, yeah, from drinking and smoking. <laughs> and looking back now to knowing that I was on a spectrum, so there's sensory overload. Right? That is like a phenomenon. When I would mask, because I would be masking throughout the day, it does consume a lot of brain energy and stress. Sure. So in the day, I'm just wiped. What I do is I would drink to numb myself. Yeah. Or after an exam, I would just really get smashed. And of course, that worsens my brain health. Yeah. I wish I had known what I know now. At the same time, I think having gone through those sleep experiences allows me to actually be very sympathetic, compassionate, understanding of what people who are neurodivergent go through, how hard it is. Yep. You learn the hard way to yeah. have kind of insight. I'm really wondering about the experience of somebody with autism and ADHD, because to me, they seem almost oppositional. Autism is yes. withdrawing and ADHD is <laughs> approaching. Yes, yeah, you're absolutely correct. They are opposing forces. Yeah. Because ADHD is seeking novelty and stimulation, whereas like the spectrum wants more order and routine. Well, how does that work for you? How do you feel those two oppositional forces? I do believe having this comorbidity or co-occurrence of the two actually helped me because <laughs> the spectrum part of me needed that order. Oh, wow. I'm very visual. Right? Yes. I wouldn't say a photographic memory, but if I see something, I follow it away in my visual memory. That's what helped me help get me through school. I would just read through like a chapter once and encode that into my memory. And I would, when I ask questions, I would think back like into my visual catalog. Okay, what's the answer to that? That's how I was able to cram when I procrastinate and study. I hear what you're saying, but it almost sounds like you have this war, this psychic war inside. Well, yeah, yes, it's, yeah. it's can yes, seem and, to be stressful. Yes, it's very stressful. The way I learned to deal with it now is actually through aerobic exercise that helps ease my agitation and aggression. <laughs> so, what do you do? You have like a prescriptive hour each day of something. I'm a night owl. Being a night owl isn't conducive to be a family man. <laughs> I've learned to wake up early to exercise. Yeah, I crossfit. I, during the pandemic, it was the Peloton bike. So I make sure that I sweat. Yeah, yeah. that so can I've, be very helpful. Yeah, I've taken on this new philosophy in life too. It's train your body for war and your mind, for, and your mind for peace. My, oh, no. my wife thinks that's a little... Oh. No, I think it sounds great. In when you give advice to your patients, what do you find that has been the most valuable thing that you tell them? Yeah, so there's a number of things that I tell them. One is understanding neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to change so that we can change and rewire our brain. I'm a geek at heart, a science geek, and so I love talking about the science. I guess in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of like-minded right, nurse like myself, so they love the science. 
talking about hacking your brain, right? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. How to hack your brain. <laughs> Engineers love that too. Yeah. So understand the brain and how we're going to hack it. Helping people understand that treatment with medications. It's reframing it because people, especially with ADHD or on a spectrum, might have this oppositional or this resistance, right, to being told what to do. It's less about needing it. It's more about do we want to optimize our brain? Do we want to rewire our brain? If you do, then medication is a necessary tool. What's also important, uh, I really tell people with ADHD, like undiagnosed before, do live with a lot of shame. There's a lot of shame. How to overcome that shame? By doing something that you can start feeling proud about, right? Showing up, right? Showing up every day and making progress in one area in your life. You can keep doing that. You keep showing up and making progress. At one point, you look back and you can see how much you've grown. To do that, you have to believe in yourself, right? Believe that you can. People with ADHD, you were on the spectrum of executive dysfunction, grew up being taught that they're lazy or they're not operating at their potential or they failed. That does create this very negative belief system. So you counter that by using your strength and finding things that you're good at, right? Yes. Parenting advice to just keep finding the things that make your child come alive rather than something they're going to get negative feedback for. Yes. I was really impressed when you talked about the teacher who pulled your ear because it's so sad that a teacher would be doing that and yet not seeing that maybe they could be helping you. Yeah, I think she was trying to help me. Oh, okay. She she, embarrassed me, actually. Yeah, but those are the kinds of things you remember all your life long. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that, are you doing mostly psychotherapy with your patients or is it a mixture of meds and? Combined. Yeah. Some some patients I work exclusively. I want to say exclusively. Some appointments or med management, but yeah. a lot of it is psychotherapeutic. I'm always thinking about the bigger picture, like how do we help you continue to grow and develop and reach new height. That's nice. And you also have other things that you do. Like when I was looking on your website, it said medication, psychotherapy, and biomedical advice or services. Oh, Yes. So that's more of like, how do we hack our bodies? I love data. So this aura ring that tracks your sleep, heart rate variability. How do we start optimizing sleep or doing genetic testing that informs us of these genetic variants we have that influence how our brain metabolizes dopamine, right? Some people metabolize dopamine faster than others, so it can change treatment approaches. So it is hacking. And now I guess the new health trend is using these contiguous glucose monitors, CGMs, to track your glucose fluctuations and flattening your glucose curve. What does that even mean? Eating less sugar? Yeah. One is to avoiding foods that will cause these like glucose spikes and dips. Okay. Because that can 
one worsen ADHD as well or cognitive functioning. Yeah. Lawrence, you've been such a success in your life. How would your life have been different if your teachers had caught your ADHD early? Maybe I wouldn't be as humble. This <laughs> <laughs> was good. <laughs> I guess my mother-in-law said this thing about me to my wife that Lawrence has to live it to learn it. It would warn me about things and or try to give me a cautionary tale. And unless I live it, I don't learn it, which I believe is very true. That really helped. I am the person I am because of my lived experiences. Yeah, I had to go back. Would I change something? I'm very happy and content and living with meaning and purpose now. Of course, lives with regret and guilt and shame that I wouldn't change anything in the past. That's good to hear. That's a great lesson for your son. Do you have other children? You have one son? One son, yes. Yeah. Yeah. How old is he now? He's eight. Oh, boy. And so is he mainstreamed? Is he in a regular school? Yeah. He's making some developmental milestones. Yeah. One thing I've learned is that people who are neurodivergent move at their own pace. For sure. Yeah. There's this, I guess, concept called asynchronous development. People who are neurodevelopment, they don't develop in synchrony as neurotypicals who develop these skills in parallel or at the same time, like motor skills and social skills, right? It's just happening linearly. Not for us. For me, even developing awareness of my bodily sensations, feelings, right? That was something that I really lacked. For example, I wear shoes like two sizes smaller than what I'm supposed to wear. I have wide feet and I will cram them into like size of what 10 and a half, 11, because I didn't like how big shoes look. I'm not developing all these foot problems. I didn't realize that you're supposed to be able to wiggle your toes in your shoes. <laughs> it sounds like maybe your parents weren't compassionate maybe influences when you were going through these things. My dad is on a spectrum. My mom has ADHD and they're both immigrants. They have four children, my older sibling, my youngest sibling. So four kids, but in a five-year span, they were stressed. They were in survival mode and they have executive dysfunction themselves. So yeah, they're doing their best. Yeah, yeah, we did lack a lot of guidance and structure. I could definitely talk to you for hours. You have such an interesting life story, and it sounds like you're really able to use that story to really help your patients. Are there any ways in which you see your ADHD as a gift? I do. I do see, I, and I still acknowledge the downside or the setbacks of having ADHD. There are some days that I'm like, my ADHD, right? When it is a gift, how do you see it as a gift? my hyper-focus, yeah. I do believe it's part of my determination. If I set my mind to something, I will attain it. It's that obsessiveness. Maybe that's also the spectrum teacher too. Mm-hmm. Once I get into that mindset, I won't stop at anything to get it. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Oh, it's given me a passion what I love, which is sciences and connecting with people. Yeah, I think once you find what you really love to do, then you can hyper-focus and have this intense enthusiasm for it. 
Yeah. Yes. So I guess that's a part of the opposing force. Usually people on the spectrum are more introverted and have more relationships with objects and people. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 In a way I do prioritize my value, my own interests. Oftentimes my interests are also overlap with connecting. Well, Sounds like you really enjoy the relationships with your parents. Yeah. Yeah. And again, geeking out about science. Sounds great. There's another physician that told me one of the gifts of ADHD led him to his passion in life. He feels a lot of people, if they don't have ADHD, they don't have that drive to find their passion. But people with ADHD, we know. We need a passion. We have to have a passion. Yes. That makes our lives more meaningful because we're in our passion. And we look at neurotypical people who might not have that. Yeah. This has been great. You're you're one of my favorite people. Thank you. I'm looking forward to interviewing you on a future show. Here at the Inattentive ADHD Coalition, we're making a library of videos of interviews with people with inattentive ADHD as they talk about their challenges and their successes. If you would like to be interviewed, please send your contact information to www.iadhd.org forward slash awareness. The mission of the Inattentive ADHD Coalition is to ensure that children with inattentive ADHD are diagnosed by the age of eight and that adults with inattentive ADHD receive prompt and accurate diagnosis when seeking help. To learn more about our mission and how you can help, visit iadhd.org. Hello, my name is Cynthia Hammer, and I'm the Executive Director of the Inattentive ADHD Coalition. Its website is www.iadhd.org. It looks like you're starting a journey to learn more about inattentive ADHD, and I highly recommend that you read my book, Living with Inattentive ADHD. It's been highly praised by a number of national ADHD authorities, and all royalties from the book are going to benefit the Inattentive ADHD Coalition.